Hey, what's up, guys? We are so excited that you're joining us today. If you're a part of our Grace community, whether in person or online, we would love to connect with you on social media at the Grace AG on all social outlets. But the best way to connect is to join our online community at live.graceassembly.org. Here, you can connect and engage with other Grace members around the world. So, we hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Let's jump right in. It is great to be here at uh, Grace this morning and to be able to uh, celebrate with this uh, special church family. You guys are amazing, and um, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you look fantastic. Now, I want you to turn to the other side and say, how about you taking me to lunch? You can only do that in the second service, right? <laughs> hey, I need faith to rise in the room this morning, okay? So I want you to pretend for a moment. Are you ready? That the Indianapolis Colts have just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> that's, that's high faith right here. Uh, because we need to celebrate something. Pastor Wayne and Tracy are unbelievable leaders. They are leaders of leaders. And they have chosen to be your pastors. They, they, you may not know it or not, they've been sought after by other churches, but they choose to be your pastor. And so as you pretend, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So yeah, we got faith rising with the Colts here. If you, if this happened in the Indianapolis dome there, if, if this actually happened, I want that kind of whistling, cheering, hollering, clapping to let Pastor Wayne and Tracy know how much you love them and how grateful you are that they are your pastors. Awesome. Thank you so much. Before we get into today's message, there probably are some people in the room who maybe you're not familiar with Convoy, so I'd like to give you just a quick overview before we break uh, open God's word this morning. So if you want to turn your attention to the screens, Convoy of Hope currently feeds over 533,000 children every school day in over 3,000 feeding programs around the world. We have empowered 99,000 women with their own micro-business enterprise. We've trained over 80,000 farmers globally. One of the cool things about when we train our farmers globally, we give them uh, best practices, fertilizer, seed, all, uh, everything that needs to happen in their area of the world. And then when we train them, we ask them to give 10% of their crops back to the local warehouse so they can feed themselves, and we will work ourselves out of a job. That's how you break the cycle of poverty. And so um, Convoy has responded, well, now uh, this, this slide's old from yesterday. So now we're at 626 uh, disasters around the world with our team in Maui right now with the fires and what's happening there. And so since Convoy start, started in 1994, we've now ministered personally to over 200 million people and have given away over 2 billion in products and supplies. That's because of friends like you. So we just wanted to say a huge thank you. 
I want to start out with a question this morning and want you to, you know, talk back, raise your hand, whatever. What is 750,000 miles long? At that length, it would go around the circumference of the earth 30 times and grows 20 miles longer every day. 750,000 miles long will go around the circumference of the earth 30 times and grows 20 miles longer every day. I wish it was Convoy of Hope, and we're trying to get there with your help. What that is, ladies and gentlemen, if people were lined up shoulder to shoulder, that would be the line of people on planet Earth who are outside of God's family. And my life mission is to make that line shorter. See, I live by a core value that I know this church lives by. It's simply this, that lost people matter to God, so they better matter to the church. I'm going to try that in this section. They may have had more coffee. Lost people matter to God, so they better matter to the church. That's why we have Hope Week. That's why Pastor Wayne wants everyone to be infected with compassion. I get up every morning for two reasons, to alleviate suffering and to populate heaven. How many of you like to get up and do that every day? To alleviate suffering and populate heaven. God has put us on this planet to meet the needs of those that are around us. And I wanna thank you, Grace, as being one of those partners, one of those churches that makes that much easier for us. So what does it take to make that happen? It takes resources. To shorten that line, to let every person hear that Jesus loves them, that he has a plan for their life, it takes resources to do that. Because it's God's will that none should perish. That none should perish, right? Where someone lives shouldn't determine whether they live or die, amen? And we get to be part of that solution. So in the Bible, there are about 2,300 verses that talk about money, possessions, or resources. To give you some context, there are about 500 verses on faith and 500 verses on prayer, and there are 2,300 verses on money, possessions, or resources. How many of you know God has something to say about this, right? So let's open our copy of God's Word this morning in Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have your copy of God's Word, I believe it'll be up on the screen this morning. Here we go. We'll get started. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures where? In heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's one of those verses where if you can't say amen, say ouch. How many of you have ever read a passage of scripture or a verse and after you read it, you're like, oh shoot, I wish I hadn't read that. Anybody have one of those moments? Because once God reveals something to us in his word, we're responsible for that. The challenge is, is the world's definition of success and God's definition of success are diametrically opposed. That's the problem. The world's definition of success is about how much I get, how much I accumulate, and how many people are under me in the flowchart at work. And God's definition of success is about how much I give away and how many people I serve. So as a disciple, as Pastor Wayne said, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the question then becomes, how do I live right side up in an upside down world? 
How many of you agree with me? We're in an upside-down world. <laughs> so as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples, we need to learn then what matters to him, what his priorities are, and how we live right-side-up in an upside-down world. I would like to call this the process of learning to live a life of radical generosity. Say radical generosity with me. Radical generosity. It's the process of moving from greedy to generous or from stingy to sharing. Everybody say sharing. Sharing. How many of you have ever been in your home in a, maybe a family room, a great room, and there was a toddler in the room? Okay? And there's a bunch of toys on the floor, right? Here's what you'll discover quickly. The toy that the toddler has in his hand is his. And the toy you have in your hand, that is also his. Have you ever seen this happen? Because we are born with this nature where we want to hold on, keep, take, me, mine. We want to hold on to things. And God's saying, I want you to share. I want you to live open-handed because I believe if God can get it through you, he'll give it to you. If you live open-handed, he can continue to roll resources through you. If you live like this, it stops right there. So I want to talk for, about sharing for a few moments because I think there are some principles. I believe when we make the decision to live a life of radical generosity, when we say, God, I want you to flow through me, I believe that could be the most miraculous day of the church. How many of you would like for today to be the most miraculous day that grace has ever had? When we let God's resources, because let's, let's be real for a moment. Everything we have is a gift from God. Everything. Someone goes, well, you don't know how good I am at my job. Who gave you your brain? Everything we have is from God. Anything good in our lives is a blessing from him. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Newsflash, he owns the hills under the cattle too. It's all his. So when we learn to live like this in a sharing mode, miracles happen. So let's get started. My favorite passage of scripture on this whole concept of sharing, John chapter six. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Verse six, if you're comfortable with this, underline, highlight, circle verse six, okay? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Can we park the car here just for a moment? This doesn't have anything to do with my sermon, but this verse is pertinent to what's happening right now in our world. You don't need to worry about who's in political offices. You don't need to worry about the stock market. You don't need to worry about whether the economy's up or down. God is on the throne and he already has in mind what he's going to do. How many of you know we can trust him? Amen, so hold on to that. Okay, now, verse seven. And Philip answered him 
eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down about how many? About 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated how much? As much as they wanted. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the very first biblical recording of the very first Golden Corral. <laughs> I've just lost, lost a big portion of you. He did the same with the fish. When they had gathered all that had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled how many? 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. This story is crazy. Some of you are looking at me like, oh, this happens every Tuesday at my work. Somebody brings their lunch and 20,000 people are fed. It's crazy, right? So are there any teachers in the room? I want to celebrate the teachers in the room. Are you a teacher right there? Yes, thank you. Yeah, show your love for the teachers in the room. All right. Are there any math teachers in the room? Any math teachers? Let me see your hands. I can't see with all these lights. You know, uh, most, math, most math teachers don't want to admit they're a math teacher because it's not really everybody's favorite subject. Um, I ran into my algebra teacher from high school in Cincinnati over Christmas break. And I said, Tom, this is the uh, 35th year in a row I have not used algebra. <laughs> and he said, you were an idiot in high school and you're still an idiot today. <clears throat> All right. Math teachers, here we go. Teachers in the room. All right, here's the question. This is not a trick question. Is that showing up on the screens up there? Anybody have an answer? Seven, that's what it is in Missouri. I'm glad Indiana has the same kind of rules. Except when God is in the equation. When God is in the equation, all bets are off. And ladies and gentlemen, you want God in your equation. Okay? So let's go back to this story again. Well, let's try this one more time here. Five plus two equals what? 5,000, I heard that. And that is, I love that answer, except whoever said that doesn't give a rip about women and children. Because it said 5,000 what? Men. And because I know Pastor Wayne cares about women and children in this building, and they designed ministry for them, let's try this again. Five plus two equals what? 20,000, that is a great number, except Pastor Wayne is a biblical scholar and believes in biblical accuracy. So if you read to the end of the story, what do we find out here? What was left over? Oh, 12 baskets, okay. So now we're at five plus two equals 20,000, remainder 12. Now, for the teachers in the room, okay? Got this one up here. 
Five plus two equals seven. And then we got five plus two equals 20,000, remainder 12. Which number is bigger? Thank you, ma'am. When God is in the equation, all bets are off. And ladies and gentlemen, you want God in your equation. Now, let's jump back into this story. If you want to take some notes, I think Pastor Wayne left a sheet there in your bulletin if you want to follow along. Number one is this. A miracle always starts with somebody. I want you to think about this. If this, here's the crazy thing. To me, this is a bigger miracle than the 20,000 plus people who are fed. That uh, I have three kids that are all in college, okay? We, we had twins and then we had a third one. And I would just recommend to all of you parents, never start out with twins. That is a rough way to go. But they're all in college now. And... Um, here, here's what I believe is an even bigger miracle in this story, that a teenager shared their lunch. Okay? A miracle always starts with somebody. If this kid doesn't share what he has in his hand, we don't have this story in Scripture. A miracle always starts with somebody. Some of you knew that this was a mission service, you knew what had been happening all week and you came into this service and your thought was, you know, whatever I'm gonna end up doing today is probably not gonna move the needle. And I would say that's where you're wrong because when God is in the equation, all bets are off and you want God in your equation, all right? Number two, miracles happen in the atmosphere of obedience, this is another equation. I don't think it's in your notes. Maybe it'll be up on the screen, but it's simply this. God's prompting plus obedience always equals the miraculous. Whatever it is that God is prompting you to do, nudging you to do, if you say yes to that, get ready for the miraculous to happen in your life. Because God's prompting plus obedience to that prompting always equals the miraculous. Number three, if you're writing these notes down, very simple. When we do what we can, God himself does what we can't. This little boy just, he, all he did was give the lunch he had in his hand. Little boy had no idea what was gonna happen. He just freely gave what he had in his hand to help out other people. Number four, it's all about listening to the prompting and acting in obedience. How many of you have ever uh, felt like God prompted you to do something? Let me see your hands. How many of you, as soon as you got that prompting, you had this thought, ah, there's no way that could be God. <laughs> you try to discount it right from the very beginning. You know God's nudging you to do something. You're like, oh, no, no that can't be him. Or uh, I'm too busy. Or anybody? Am I the only one who argues with the Lord around here? Okay. So I pastored for 21 years in Cincinnati at the same church. And um, we had a multiple staff, kind of like Grace. It was a great church. And uh, 
somebody called our church who didn't go to our church, and the receptionist called me and said, Pastor, I've got a message for you. I said, okay, what is it? And she said, there's some guy who doesn't go to our church. He's never been here. His son is on life support in the ICU at the hospital. There are no brain waves, and they're going to shut off the life support machine, and he wants you to come over and pray last rites for him. So somebody who didn't go to our church, after you hear this story, you're going to say, thank God, Pastor Wayne is our pastor and not Brad. That's going to be the first thought that comes to your mind. I started thinking, man, I've got a busy schedule. These, this guy doesn't even go to our church. Um, there's really no hope in this situation. I'm not Catholic. I don't know how to pray last rites. Anybody else giving the Lord a list of why you can't do something he told you to do? And I, I instantly felt the Holy Spirit prompt me and said, go to the hospital and pray. So I get in my car. Have any of you ever done this? I, I, I obeyed with a bad attitude and the wrong heart. Anybody ever done this one? If you're not sure what a bad attitude and the wrong heart and obedience all works together, is if you've ever asked your teenage son to take the garbage out on a Tuesday night, it gets to the end of the driveway, but there's a big skid mark with all the liquid because they didn't want to actually lift it. That's, that's obedience with the wrong heart and a bad attitude. So that's what I was having, right? This is what was going on. I get to the hospital, and I say, uh, I see the father, and I say, Lord, I just pray that you would comfort this man. This is the worst day of his life. They're going to shut this machine off. He needs to know you are right beside him. And while I'm praying this, the Lord says, put your hand on the kid's head. So then I have to explain to the Lord why it's the father who needs the prayer right now. This kid is not there. Anybody else been a consultant for the Lord? <laughs> Trying to explain to him what's happening. Once again, thank God, Pastor Wayne's your pastor. So I just do what the Lord says, put my hand on the kid's head, continue to pray for the father. Prayed scripture. Lord, you said that you're close to the broken heart of this man is shattered today. You said that you'll bring comfort to those who are mourning. And while I'm praying for the father, no brain waves on this life support machine, this kid sits straight up in bed. Scared me, to, I almost died of a heart attack. <laughs> Scared me to death. The father goes, what did you do? And I said, I don't know. And the nurse comes running in from ICU and she goes, what did you do? And I said, I don't know. And I looked down to see if I was standing on his oxygen line. Thank God I wasn't. Listen, wrong attitude, wrong heart, praying in the wrong direction, but was obedient to the prompting and watched God do something. God wanted me to learn early on in my ministry that anything good that ever happened in my ministry had absolutely nothing to do with me and everything to do with him. Number five, this boy gave what he had in his hand and he celebrated the miracle the rest of his life. This one act of sharing became the miraculous story of his life. I mean, seriously, 50, 60 years later, his grandkids are running up going, Grandpa, Grandpa, tell us the lunch story again. You gave your lunch to Jesus and he fed 20,000 people and he gave Grandma 12 baskets of leftovers? 
How many of you are going, yeah, that, that's, that's a pretty good story. I don't think I could top that one. He gave what he had in his hand, and he celebrated that miracle the rest of his life. My wife and I, before we came to Cincinnati to pastor, we were youth pastors in Baltimore, Maryland. And the East Coast cost of living is outrageous. We couldn't live anywhere near Baltimore, so we moved 26 miles out in the woods in the sticks. And with that 26-mile commute combined with the traffic on I-95, it would take us almost an hour to get to work in the morning and an hour to get home at night. I've always been a work smarter, not harder kind of guy. So I turned that hour in the morning as our devotional time for my wife and I. So this is... Uh, Back in this time, I had a 1985 Honda Accord with a tape player. Bad boy was sweet. How many had a car with a tape player? There we go. Yeah. And this is in the early 90s, so I had a bunch of Hosanna Integrity tapes. Anybody remember these? Don Moen or, yeah. So I would pop the Hosanna Integrity tape in my tape player, and we listen to music and get get the worship going on in the car. And then my wife, she had her Bible. She'd read a passage of scripture, and then we'd pray together. Except when I was driving, the Lord told me a long time ago, while I'm driving and praying, to never close my eyes. It's just some, it's a nugget he dropped. And I want to share it with you. If you're praying and driving, do not, the Lord does not want you to close your eyes while you're doing that. So this is happening, right? And we're, we're praying and we're talking. And I just said, hey, um, Listen, while we were praying, I felt like the Lord dropped something to my heart. And I, I think we're supposed to give uh, Dave, one of the pastors on staff that we worked with, give him $50 and tell him he could take his, his boys out for pizza tonight. And my wife goes, yeah, my, my spirit bears witness with that. But I think the Lord, you know, I think he wants us to tell him to take the boys to Chuck E. Cheese. And I was like, as the spiritual head of this home, you know, God may drop an idea or nudge us or prompt us to give somebody something, but God doesn't ever address the issue of Chuck E. Cheese, okay? Like, if you want something worse than COVID, go to Chuck E. Cheese, get over in the skee-ball section, you're going to get something really bad. She was like, well, whatever, that's what I felt. So we had to pop some Don Moen in, get our hearts right, and worship again so we could be friends. <laughs> but I get to work, she calls me at lunchtime. She says, have you done what God's told you to do? And I said, no. And she goes, you better do what God told you to do. And I was like, you better get back to work. <laughs> and I had to put on some worship music, get my heart right again. So she calls me at 5 o'clock. She goes, uh, have you done what God's told you to do? And I rolled my chair back from my desk so I wouldn't be lying. I was like, yeah, I'm on my way. <laughs> so I go down the hallway, knock on the door. Dave's like, yeah, come in. I was like, Dave, I don't want this to be weird or awkward or whatever, but Angie and I were praying this morning, and I felt like God prompted us to give you a gift, and being the mighty man of faith I am, I threw my wife under the bus and said, and Angie thinks you should take the boys to Chuck E. Cheese. Like, I wasn't attaching my name to that. You know? 
So he comes out from behind his desk and he comes, then he, he kind of leans back on his desk and he puts his head down and his glasses slide to the front of his nose. Tears start coming out from under. I said, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to offend you. I've, I've missed God before. I'm sure I'll miss him again. He's like, no, you don't understand. So what's going on? He said, uh, today is our oldest son, Joey's ninth birthday. He's nine years old today. And as I was leaving the house this morning, as I was getting in my car in the garage, Joey jumped out in the garage, and the very last thing he said to me was, Dad, is there any way we can go to Chuck E. Cheese for my birthday? Now, when God is so concerned that he can meet the need of a little boy who we had no idea was his birthday with exactly what he wanted, to prompt a couple who didn't have children and had no plans at that time of even having any children to make sure exactly what Joey needed was met. When we do what we can, God himself does what we can't. It's all about celebrating the miracle that God's placed in your hand. That, ladies and gentlemen, has become the miraculous story of our lives, anybody in our family will at some point say, hey, bring up the Chuck E. Cheese story because God was so specific in meeting a need. Let me give you this final thought this morning. We'll close quickly. Charity says you can have the crumbs and leftovers from my table, but radical generosity says I'll give you a seat at the table. God may not be asking you this morning to give to feed 20,000 people. But I can promise you, he is asking you to share what you have in your hand. Here are some harsh realities that you may not be aware of. Did you know that 2.4 billion people in the world live on less than $2.50 a day? Think about that. We need your help. There are still hundreds and thousands of children outside the fences of our 3,000 feeding programs just waiting to get in. Do you know that every single day, 16,000 children die of dirty water or hunger-related issues? That number is so big and happens every single day. I tried to find something to help wrap my mind around that. You may or may not know, but a 747 jet holds approximately 500 passengers. So I want you to think for a moment. Imagine 32 747 jets plunging to the earth every single day full of 500 passengers each. Not only did that happen this morning, it will happen tomorrow morning, and it will happen Tuesday morning, and it will happen Wednesday morning. In a few moments, Pastor Wayne is gonna come and close our time together, but before, you may have walked in this room this morning and you're thinking, well, how can I help? I don't know that what I'm gonna do is actually gonna make a difference, but I'm telling you, if you share what you have in your hand, Watch God do the miracle. There is, um, here, here, here's the deal. Typically when people come into a mission service, they have a number in their head before they even get here. You probably thought of, I could probably do this today. And yet when we pray and give God an opportunity to speak into our lives about it, every time I've done this, God's changed my number. Anybody ever had this happen? And every time for me, maybe not for you, God's number has been bigger than my number. 
But here's what I've discovered in faith promise living for the last 30 years. Pay attention to this. Listen to this. I would rather do God's number with his help than my number by myself. Because when God's in the equation, all bets are off. Everybody can do something. You know, my very first mission trip ever was to Caracas, Venezuela. It was in 1986. At that time, Venezuela was prosperous and vegetation and oil and the boulevard was strong. Now I want you to fast forward the clock to 2018 when the entire economy of Venezuela completely imploded. No money, no food, no jobs, nothing. Overnight, 25% of the country fled, most of them women and children. When they were coming to the border, there's a concrete bridge between Venezuela and Colombia. And as you get to the end of that bridge, there was this red awning. It's a red umbrella. Our guys on the team were there, and there were women who were so hopeless that as they went to the edge of that bridge and saw this uh, umbrella, I think we have a picture of it, they literally would sit down underneath it. I don't know if you can see the sign, but on this cardboard sign, if you don't speak Spanish, what that says is, we buy hair. And these Venezuelan women with thick, black, rich hair, long hair, would sit down underneath that umbrella, have their heads shaved, sell their hair so they could buy one more meal for their child. When Convoy of Hope heard about that, we got on the ground immediately and said, not on our watch. And since that moment, right there at that concrete bridge, we have provided for women and children right there. We've personally touched over 2 million people and provided over 30 million meals there. Everybody can do something. There was a guy in my church in Cincinnati. He had had a horrific situation happen. His wife died of a heroin overdose. He was left alone with three little boys under the age of six. Because he had helped his wife try to stay off drugs, he was late to his job so many times that he was fired from his job. So he lost his wife to heroin, lost his job, and had three little boys under the age of six. He came up to me the week before our One Day to Feed the World offering. He said, Pastor, I know I've got a rough situation, but there are still children who are way worse off than I am. He said, if you will give me some hoses and buckets and sponges and some Dawn dishwashing detergent, I'd love to just wash cars on the Saturday before our one day to feed the world offering on Sunday in the church parking lot as people drive by. We gave him everything he needed. We got babysitters for his three little boys. I drove up seven or eight times in front of the church watching him all by himself just wash cars. No job, no wife three little boys under the age of six. On that Sunday morning after washing cars all day with just a little donation box, he came running down this left aisle, face glowing. I've never seen so much joy on a person's face. He said, Pastor, you know I lost my wife. You know I don't have a job. I got these three little boys. But he said, all I did was make myself available yesterday. And this morning, I'm gonna get to put $500 in the offering plate to take care of the poor. When we do what we can, God himself does what we can't. 
Typically, people give out of one or two ways. They either give out of logic. They think, well, this is what I have in my checking account. I could probably do this. Or they give out of emotion. They're overwhelmed at the thought that a mother would shave all of the hair off her head and sell it to buy one more meal for her kids. We don't want you to give out of logic, and we definitely don't want you to give out of emotion. But we would like you to take 30 seconds and say, God, what are you asking me to do? Because God's prompting plus obedience to whatever it is he's asking you to do equals the miraculous. Would you take a moment right now and just say, God, would you please speak to me right now? I want to hear your voice. Would you drop a number in my heart? Would you speak to my mind? Would you just close your eyes and bow your heads just for a moment? God, would you speak to us right now? Give us the wisdom to hear your voice and the courage to say yes. On behalf of all those that we serve around the world, I just want to say a huge thank you. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to the Grace Assembly of God podcast so you're up to date on all sermons. Also, if you want more Grace content, make sure you subscribe to the Deeper Grace podcast, where Pastor Wayne will dive deeper into his most recent message. Have a great week, and God bless.